what do you want to uh, talk about? <laughs> just throw it at you. It'll be grand. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Exactly. So hello, this is podcast three hundred and forty one of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Ruddy and I'm joined as promised with Dr. Graham Hughes. I never call him Dr. Hughes, but I'm gonna maybe just do that, you know, just for the fun of it for this podcast. So I'm gonna make this explicit so we can both swear. <laughs> we can both really, really, really honest. So we don't actually have to worry about that. It's gonna happen with me anyway. Yeah, I know it's gonna happen with me too. It especially happens in your company, I think. <laughs> this is the honesty. And we're both still like I'm still rattling like a dementor this morning, and you've been dying as well. So people might have to accuse, <laughs> excuse cough sweets and tea and all the rest of it while we get through oh, this. Yeah, like- so when I introduce you to students, like it's kind of funny. Like the biggest problem I have is that everybody that you work with wants to be you. It's it's kind of quite hilarious. And um, what I would say is a little bit like my own background in oceanography. Like there's no point in looking at climate change unless you can look at it for at least a minimum of 10 years. And like, you know, that's like the basic sort of scale. So when I say to people like you're a biologist who does computational because, you know, you're looking at DNA sequences and you're looking at whole species of mammals in that. So, like you know. When I remember when you got your your full time academic position, like you were like, "Oh, please, like kill me if I ever develop an ego." I think you suggested sipping the prosecco out of a shoe to keep us grounded. I think that's your biggest fear. And when we meet up and we we talk, mostly we hang out in Eddie Rock because you know it's really classy. And um, we talk a lot about how people make themselves so important in education. They make everything seem so difficult. You know, and I think you yourself, like you were talking about finding that there was a center even in the university that you didn't know about when you were struggling to do your own little thing, you know, and no, you didn't know there was people to talk to, you know. So, like, what students do you love working with? Uh, I mean, I love students who are really into it, you know. Um, what I found with, like, with teaching is like, there's always a moment where you can tell the student gets it and it's just there's a flash in their eyes and it's just, it's that moment. Um, and you only get that from students that are really interested in it in the first place, that really want to, want to know. So it's kind of students that want to be there are the, are the big thing, you know. I don't have a particular kind of kind of subgroup or anything like that that I'm interested in. I just want, you know, I'm there for students that want to be there. Yeah. Um, um, because, I mean, that's what I'm here. I want to teach, you know. I want to teach a subject that I love so much. And I, uh, when you find students that also love it so much and really want them to learn more, it's just, it's, you're not, you're not lecturing them, you're riffing, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're chatting to people, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're having a conversation, like, oh, what do you think this means? And, oh, yeah, they actually did this, they found this, you know. And that's kind of, that makes, makes it totally worthwhile as, a, as somebody who kind of wants to teach as well as do research. It's the students that are interested in it. You do, you, can, you know, you could be in a big lecture hall with the students, and you can still pick up the ones in the audience just by looking at them that are into it, you know. They're the ones that kind of smile when they when they make this, they, they, they put two and two together for themselves. And you can see them nodding, like, yeah, those guys. You're my guys. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because they often don't come from really privileged backgrounds. Like we, we, we both know that. Like I have a yeah. long time gone on about employing teachers who are the first people in their family to third level education. Absolutely. I mean, I, I am myself. I'm, I'm the person in my family to get a PhD. I'm not the person to get kind of a higher, like a master's and um, cousins that have master's, but on my mother's side, I'm the only one to go to college. Um, and I'm the only one on both sides to do a PhD ever. So definitely, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I always have more time for people who struggle a bit more. And, um, you know, I've always found that they always wanted that bit more because they're in it because they want to do it. They're not in it because the parents have insisted. They're not in it because they're being pushed to do one thing or the other. They're in it to win it, and they're in it because, you know, they want to do this, they like this, and, you know, for them, failure is not an option. 
So they, they really tried to find out. And I was, you know, similar situation myself. It's kind of like, I really love this and I want to find out what I need to do to do this. Um, because for me, failure is not an option. I can't just go work in a parent's business. I can't just go you know, have one parent pull strings in a company and do this. I didn't have that option. So it's kind of like, I got to make it on my own here. And I got to do what I can and find out what I need to do to make it. I find out who I need to talk to to make it. Um, you know that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, I always say to people like you, you went to a shite school. Like let's let's call a spade a spade. Like you know, you were one of the only people to go on to third level yeah. in in your class. Yeah. You know, you yeah. didn't go go to a good school, and we, you know, you didn't go to a prestigious university. Like I actually picked to to find teachers from universities that weren't the top universities. But yet that's where you know you're working in one of the ones that's on the league table now. You yeah. know, yeah. so like there's always a, a route for people yeah. and and i think honors maths is a great example of like how we make it so difficult like we do the whole course in 35 hours and and people say oh you can't do that and you can't show it that way and you can't you know and so many people actually who teach honors maths didn't actually do honors maths themselves yeah. the people who teach it well because they've actually had to work it out like they're not just trying to parrot it back to you like you yeah. know like you you weren't an an a perfect student in a perfect school with perfect notes and being told what was going to be on the exam paper, you know. Absolutely not. I mean, geez, I, I wouldn't have gotten into science nowadays with what I got in my leaving cert, like the points that I got in my leaving cert. It wouldn't have qualified me for science in most colleges nowadays. So I mean, I I wasn't a spectacular student by any means. So it's not like I had all the brains and you know. Well, I would argue that you that you did have the brains, and I, and I think you would have just just risen the bar for yourself and like you know pulled <laughs> yeah, yourself a little bit harder to get but, in there. No, but I, I mean, I, you know, but as a raw number, my points I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was definitely less. It was way less than five hundred anyway, which is what most science courses, at least in, in, in uh, uh, Irish campuses, are. Yeah, yeah, but what I always say is like there are there are many other routes in that. Oh, they might absolutely. take a little bit longer, but there are many routes, and there are yeah. so many people that you've worked with who were sort of stuck in their bedrooms. I mean, my brother, my brother did a PLC um, and then went on through that to go to university in the UK and now he's working in, in as a psychiatric nurse in the UK, you know, doing what he really wants to do with all the time. But just he didn't get anywhere near the points he would have needed. And um, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he didn't know what he wanted. Because that's the, you know, I had a real, I had a, I had a real advantage um, in school in that I knew what I wanted to do. And having a thing to gear towards will always make, make it, you know, it always gives you some to work for. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to do science. I was like, all right, to do science, I need to know science. So I need to sit down and kind of figure this out. Yeah, so I had, I had a thing to work to. I had a goal. I knew kind of, look, here's the minimum you need to do to be able to get towards that goal. Um, and that's a luxury. Not everybody has that. And I just had that from being a nerd, you know, um, from kind of liking science as a younger uh, kid. But my brother didn't know what he wanted to do. What he wanted to do, he was a little lost. Um, so we went to an alternative route, and he got there in the end. And, you know, he got there... When he got there, it's yeah. simple as. Yeah, and, and like I think this is one of the things that really kind of incenses me. Like I, I never tell you the story the students we work with. Like I always let you start yeah. with a clean slate. They're whoever they are. You see their talents and where they're, you know, good and, you know, incite their interest. They're always really interested. Like I find it ironic that all the people yeah. we work with are quite often trapped in their bedrooms, having been failed by the system. Everyone thinks they're disinterested, lazy, everything else. And they're massively studying things at home, like passionately, like quantum physics, like, you know, yeah. and you end up having these really in-depth conversations with them, like, you know, they're just bored in school yeah. in, in most cases. But the bit that I find really shocking and that I can't really get my head around is that 
nearly all the people we work with, some teacher at some time has taken the time to hold their parents back, usually in primary school. For me, it didn't happen until just before my leaving cert. And it was actually directly to me. But like to tell you that your child will never make anything of themselves. And I'm kind of standing there and I'm thinking like, why would you do that? Like, why, why would you put the effort and take the time in to take someone's family aside and tell them, like, you know, your child's not going to be anything like, you know, you know, they're a waste of space, basically. And like, I find that really shocking. And, you know, you've met the students, like, it is really shocking. Like, why would you do yeah. that? I don't I mean, I think, you know, it's such a position of power in any kind of education role, because People look to you and, and look at what you say as gospel. You know, if you tell, if, you, if you're a teacher and you tell a kid, you'll never make something of themselves. Why wouldn't they believe you? You're their teacher. You know, um, so there's a lot of responsibility that I think um, shouldn't be neglected or looked over as a, an educator in any kind of way. That you know, your words matter and what you say to students matter because they look to you as the person who's been there and who knows their things. And that's this idea you could be a karate instructor, and you can still tell a kid you're never going to be good at karate and it'll have the same impact. You know, it's it's you're the instructor you know best so a student there to learn from you if what they're learning is if they're not good enough they're going to believe it um, and the same for parents if parents don't know to question you or or you know think you you know best because you're the educator then they're going to believe you too um, it's a very important position it's a it's a weird kind of power to have because it's nothing physical something kind of tangible you're not ruling over anything you don't have control over anything but your words matter and it's just you know I often, I always, I often think it's a reflection of teaching themselves. You know, it's a projection of their own, whatever. Yeah, you know, like I always like I always joke and I say that that a lot of like a lot of teachers are not going to like this, but like a lot of teachers are failed scientists. Like the people who didn't get into the honors degree program of my course went off to be teachers, and the rest of us continued in science. And like the bit that like we we started ranting about when we met last time, and why I wanted to record this podcast is that this doesn't stop. Like as the further up you go, and this was the bit that was shocking for me when I did a doctorate, and it was why I left academia, and I thought. I need to do something about this. I need, this needs to look different. This, this needs to be a different terrain here. Like, even when you're doing a PhD, your supervisor is still trying to take you out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the same, same thing. Like, you know, it never ends. No matter where you are, the, your instructor, your, your supervisor, or whatever the person in the position above you will always have that power over you that their words matter. Yeah, like, it's unbelievable that you regress in that moment so far back and you become so small. It's funny. I mean, I even do it myself. Like, if I... I come across from my lectures from my undergrad nowadays, and even though we're both publishing scientists, I still regress into that, you know, college student nervous around a lecturer, you know, even though now we're kind of, you know, we're peers in the sense. Um, but, the, you know, that's the thing, and, and, and the supervisors, you know, are, are supposed to be that they're, they're there as the, the leaders of the people. You're there to learn from them. Um, but I also yeah. feel that they're there to nurture you and to nurture your future. Like, I think that's the bit like that I've, I've ended up sort of mentoring so many people at that stage of their life when they've finished their PhD. And there's many people that I did my own PhD with who had set up such specific niche equipment to measure amazing things on the planet. And yet they ended up being totally shafted and not not encouraged in, in their brilliance of what they had now created and what was possible for them to not be the go-to person for that field because their supervisor didn't want them to do too well. And like the, the reality is like you can't stay on the planet forever. 
Like your, your supervisor is going to pass on and other people need to take on your research and, and, and take it in different fields and maybe different ways. But we're so insecure in education. We're kind of like, oh, well, you know, sorry, get back in your box and, you know, let's hide that person over in the corner over there and let's make them so far down the paper, you know, that I'm still the important person. And we're so we don't nurture in education at any point. No, I mean, like the... So I have a couple of my students uh, of, my, of my own now. It's very weird um, to be in that kind of position now, having been in it for so long as a student. But like I, I always say to them, like I got here, guys. I've done my stint now. It's your turn. You know, here you you go and be awesome scientists, and here's everything I'm going to do to support you. Um, I don't mind anymore. I don't need to be this, that, and the other anymore. You know, I have gotten my position. It's over to you guys. You know, and try and nurture them and say find, find their talents and find the, the the thing that they didn't realize they knew that they were good at. You know, and take that and run with it. And it's like. I, and say no actually you can code you're really good at coding you you can you can really think of a programmer let's go and do some, some coding and let's, let's write some software or you know you really understand this concept of protein modeling let's go make some proteins and let's go look at this method and, you know i don't really need to be on papers anymore i don't you know i'm on papers sure but i i kind of want them to be on papers now everything everything i do from here on out is to benefit them and help them and like give you any idea how rare that is like this is why yeah, i hang I, out with you like yeah. like you know i wanted to record this podcast because i'm sick of people telling me what you can't do in education and i think one of the the things of people who maybe want to be like all these fancy titles like influencers and change makers and all these things is they think they have to do everything themselves i, yeah. I don't i do so many things i care about from feminism to climate change to education to literacy like there's an expansive list as you know like we talk about all of it and like I'm like, I don't have to do it all. All I have to do is to encourage people to be the best of themselves, to be secure, you know, the secureness that you have, to then meet the next generation in secureness and nurture and help them. Like, you know, it, and but yet I know it's so rare, but yet I know, like, I know what's possible. I, I know that we're doing it. I know when you walk into a lecture hall that the neurodivergent students keep you back at the end of it and sort of say, I, I really appreciated your lecture. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good few actually. It's really nice to see um, that they're interested and they actually appreciate the, the kind of shout out and the the, um, the kind of making arrangements to make it easier for them as well. Um, and and uh, it's yeah. just awareness. It's, like it's it's not yeah. rocket science. It's just awareness. It's a few tweets here and there. It's literally not a hassle. Like I can in one click or two clicks, I can change the font on all my slides from standard font to font to a dyslexia friendly font. You know, it's not hard. <laughs> um, it's easy, and so uh, it's just—it's not a hassle to do it either. You know, that's the thing. Um, and I do it by default now. You know, <laughs> and, and like I—I'm chuffed. I know that you've had. I know you won't want to say this, but you've had the most nominations for a teaching award, and I'm just like—I'm yeah, just so yeah, happy. I'm, I'm just so I'm bloody just, chuffed. Yeah. I really am. I think it's funny. I mean, I—I you know, I don't, I don't care about kudos. I'm not interested in pats on the back and stuff like that. It's nice to get them. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I just—I mean, I—I I love I—I I, I love science. I, I'm studying biology, but I'm a huge nerd, so I really like uh, physics and chemistry and, and mathematics. I do a bit of maths to me on free time because I feel like the best way to understand these methods is to know the maths behind them. But uh, so I, I love teaching. You know, it's it's just it's nice to be able to get upstairs and stand there and say, look, this is how evolution works. This is how genetics works. And I'm kind of because I'm a nerd and I like physics, I like to throw in a bit of uh, physics down the line and say, look, you know. If we colonize Mars, here's how the genetics of that's going to work. We're going to have all the same things we have with colonizing other countries as humans. And, you know, we're going to have counter effects. We're going to have these kind of mutations. And we're going to just tell our travel, and it's the same problem. And that's, you, know, you, kind of, you, can, you can bring all the nerdiness into your, your topic. And, and the students love it because it's not your bog standard lecture of, like, this is DNA. This is what DNA looks like. This is what DNA does. It's kind of like, here's how DNA is going to, you know, here's how genetics is going to be when, you, when we colonize Mars. And it's always like, more interesting. Yeah. Or, you know, 
I, I think I want to go sit in your lectures because mine were yeah, so bloody yeah, dull yeah, in, like, in college. They really were. The thing is, like, I kind of make, I don't say a study self-centered, but I make lectures that I think I would have liked as a student, you know. Um, I would have loved to sit down and have people talk to me about, like, how crowd, you know, uh, what's it called, like, crowd, but, but, uh, mechanics and, and robotics and, and kind of that will feature in the human evolution and how that might get malign and impact natural selections. And, and there's a part of us not sticking our head in the sand and assuming that the world is not moving outside because, like, yeah, most, yeah, most, yeah. most education is obsolete. You know, like, uh, it's, so already, it's already history, usually yeah, bad yeah, history. So, yeah, this is, I mean, so it's kind of, it's nice to be able to talk with the potential future and actually bring your, 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 your field in that. And talk to students about it. And they, they, I think they enjoy it. So, like, yeah, like you know, you're, you're saying, like, there's, a, there's a, it's, it's interesting. You can, you can integrate it and embody it into the real world, like into AI intelligence and the impacts yeah. of that, and the sort of books you read and the nerdy TV programs you watch, and like yeah. the offbeat <laughs> humor and yeah. the quirky, yeah. like you still in like the quirky T-shirts, like you I, know that, like, yeah, with, with, with the dinosaur, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I love bringing all that in. I think it's great to actually make the connections across topics and. To just be human. Um, yeah, and, and, and I mean, you know, like this, everybody's been there, I think, where you've had some sort of teacher or lecturer, and they clearly don't know what they do. They're just droning on. And it's just like, look, they don't care. Why should we? Right. Yeah. Um, whereas I think just I love what I'm doing, so I'm always super enthusiastic. And I don't take myself too serious. I think I work very serious, I'm wrong, but I don't take myself too serious. So I'll do silly walks across the, the, the kind of hall to demonstrate bipedal movement, and I'll do stupid things and say stupid things. and you know, it's kind of it makes the whole thing more enjoyable. That you know, you know, they're all adults in the lecture hall. That's they're not kids, so why treat them like they're babies? I know, and we don't teach or treat our other students like that either. Even right. if they're ten and fifteen, yeah. we, we we never yeah, do. Exactly. We never patronize them. Yeah. So it's just like let's treat them like other people and have a bit of a bit of a laugh. In the meantime, and if we all learn something brilliant, perfect. Um, and that's I think that's the best way to do it because. I mean, from my own experience, the, the, the lessons or the lectures that I were at you know, as a kid to, to being a, an undergrad, the ones I remember were the ones where the lecturers were funny and memorable and silly and didn't take themselves too serious and actually clearly enjoyed what they do, you know? Nothing worse than just, yeah, like I said. It's, it's so difficult lecture. to find people who have a passion for their topic and are good at communicating it and are prepared to meet people at the level where they're at. Like, you know, yeah. who don't need to be beyond. Like, that. that yeah. is basically the requirements I have for someone to, to be in the teaching team. Yeah. You know, yeah. to, to have a massive I, passion for what you do, firstly. Yes. But to I, also I mean, want to pass my, it on. Like this thing, and it's the same for my students, my undergrads. Like, I don't, uh, or my, my, my PhD students, I don't care that they don't have a background in computational biology. If you did, you wouldn't need to do a PhD in one. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, that's why I'm here to teach you how to become a computational biologist. What's the point of you coming to me as a fully qualified computational biologist for a position that's there to train you in that. It makes no sense. Yeah. So I don't understand this idea either of like, you know, people advertising PhD positions and here's a list of requirements you need to have to come to this PhD. You know, 40 years experience as a biopartition, 60 years on the It's like, no, nobody has that. That's not what this is for. And um, so, you know, I, I, I don't have any specific prerequisites. All I ask is enthusiasm and interest, you know. Um, yeah. And that's across the board. That's, that's any student at any level. I know, and I love the people who apply to me and say, I don't have any teaching experience. And it turns out they have loads because, you know, yeah. they they've have, have all sorts of journeys and stories and, you know, situations that have happened. And they actually have yeah. an enormous amount of experience, but they don't consider themselves to be teachers. Yeah. You know, yeah. but, but I really love what you're doing. You know, that's all I need to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, this is it. I mean, just having the passion for it is a big thing. You know, that kind of like, uh, you do see some, some lectures and, yeah, they, they like the research side of things, but they, they don't care too much for the teaching. It's just like, uh, then why, why, why do it? Give it over to somebody who can. You know, people want to do it, wants to be there. Don't what would you, 
what would you say to the 15-year-olds that are sitting out there? There's a whole series of them I'm working with at the moment who've dropped out of the system, who have been convinced they're going to be nothing. You know, what, what would you say to them? I, I'd say the only time you should ever stop and give up is when you yourself have decided that's it. Ignore everybody else. Never, ever take them on board. You know, I've, I've been in a position where people have told me, stop, this isn't going to work out. And if I had listened to them, I wouldn't have. But we saw dinosaurs. I wouldn't have done this or that. I wouldn't have done half the crazy, crazy shit that I've done in my career. And I wouldn't be here today. You know, half the crazy stuff I did as an undergrad or as a PhD student resulted in stuff that was usable. That I could put on my CV and, you know, it was kind of said. But if anybody ever tells you it's not worthwhile doing, stop. You can't do it. Ignore them. Only stop when you feel like you can't go any further yourself. And always be interested in seeing the next thing. Never be satisfied to take somebody's uh, word you know, figure it out yourself, give it a go, do the, you know, find out what you can about it. Um, and I promise you, everything is far more interesting than your school books say it is and what your teachers say it is. You know, the world is a fascinating place. The universe is a fascinating place. You just give it the time yourself. And I've, you know, don't just assume that because the book, school book makes it boring that it is actually boring. There's nothing worse than the standard science textbooks in school. They're boring as hell. That's not how science really is, right? It's really not. Science is the crap you see on TV where we're making explosions and we're doing things like in the, you know, busters, all that kind of stuff, you know, lasers and rockets and all that kind of stuff. That's science. You know, making chemicals, making crap in the lab, you know, crashing computer servers with bullshit software you didn't think through properly. That's the fun. That's the science, right? It's not the stupid pictures and boring. It's not the answer. It's not the answer. No, no. It's, it's, science is, is the, is the fun you see online. If you watch YouTube videos of scientists, that's what science is. It's experience, exploring things and, Figure things out for yourself, and also being okay with being wrong. That's the that's the key thing that I find people are afraid of is to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to get the wrong answer. It's okay yeah. to make mistakes. You know, yeah, that we, we can't learn without making mistakes, and we're obsessed with the right answer. Any idea how many times I crashed our server, like with terrible code? You know, or <laughs> I've done it more times than I care. I've had so many emails saying, "Please stop your program. It's jamming the system." Um, <laughs> Or just you've know, done stupid things and you learn from it. You think, ah, I won't do that again. Or you know, try to you know get rid of a computer virus on your server, only to you know accidentally make it worse. And you know, it's it's kind of you learn as you go. This is it. Like it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to it's okay to ask stupid questions. You only you only you only do yourself in when you don't ask a question in the first place. You know, um, and I believe me, if if they're really if anybody's ever really serious about this, they'll love when you ask questions. Yeah. You know, whether you think it's a stupid question or not, I love getting asked questions because it shows that the students care. They actually want to pursue what you said. And especially if you need to think about the answer. If, if it's yeah, not a question yeah. that you thought of, like you're like, oh, I've never thought about that before. Right, right. Well, we really need to look at that. Primary school kids for that. Primary school kids ask you questions you've never thought of. And you're just like, God, I have no idea. You know? <laughs> I need to go look it up just to make sure. Like, But like, I would say it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to do things wrong. It's okay. I got 9% of the maths exam once my own AO in, in secondary school. I was terrible at maths for the most part. It's okay to do bad yeah. in things. It's okay to not do well. If you want to get there, you'll get there. Just don't listen to the people who tell you you can't get there along the way. I know. Well, like, I, I think I was very fortunate in that my particular personality, I was like, to tell me that I couldn't do something was the way to tell me to do it, basically. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but but not everyone is like that. Not everyone has that reaction to it. And I think that's what I meet every day. Yeah, yeah. So um, what are the side effects of hanging out with me? You often say that, like, you know. Yeah, I find myself... Uh, being able to read people a little better, I think, which is kind of funny. Um, it's I think some of your powers were brought a little bit on me. Um, being able to look at things kind of and seeing through the crap and seeing this person doesn't actually believe that. That's just they're just saying this or this person you know is only doing this because they're 
what they're saying is what they're afraid of. And they're just projecting their fear on somebody else. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, 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 it's not a pleasant power. No, it's not. I always say it's a curse. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's not, it's not fun because you're just like, uh, I, I really like that person and my friend. And here I am thinking, oh, they've got this or that. Um, you know, this is what the reality is. It's like, no, stop, stop, turn that off. Just, just, you know. Yeah, I do, yeah, and, and I think that's where you have to build in the acceptance as well. I think, I think acceptance is really important. It doesn't matter what you see, as long as like the, the motivations are not impacting you. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's the only time where you kind of have to step in and think, actually, th- this is having an impact on me, and this is not good. It's a bit like the, you know, the fifteen-year-old being told that you can't yeah. do this, and the teachers with the power and all of those things actually seeing through people's insecurities. It's fine to be insecure. It, you know, actually, and I say that everybody that, that, that I work with has a healthy amount of insecurity. Like, that's yeah. actually a really good thing to, to question yourself, to not have an ego. Like, every person I work with, I worry that I'm going to that I'm gonna be able to help them. You know, with all that I've done, I'm still like, oh, will I be able to, you know, help this? You know, will I be able to support you? I always have that question. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm the same. I, I, I this work that I've done in 2013, and I'm still terrified somebody's going to realize it's all wrong. No, that hasn't happened, so it might not be wrong. But I'm always, it's always that like uncertainty of like, did I do that right? Like, is that really the right answer? Did I do that? Is that the right analysis? Should I use, you know, I don't think this is years and years ago, but like, it still kind of haunts you in the background that like maybe it wasn't right. Now, obviously, I'm not, I don't have like, I'm not up on like worrying about it, but there's always that like thought that, geez, oh god, what if that's wrong? Like, what if somebody shows and it's all crap? Yeah, there's that sense of responsibility too, especially when you know when you're working with people and you're caring about people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Hughes. This has been fun. (laughs) It's like, it's fun to take our kind of like, you know, Eddie Rocker's conversations and like, you know, give them some, here's a splice for for the world. Like, this is is why we've been working together. No matter what, you can do it, get there, once you know what you want, figure out how to get there and do it. Don't listen to anybody along the way um, because I didn't, the people, my friends didn't, you know, um, the folks that I work with didn't. um, I certainly didn't. You certainly didn't, you know, it's, 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 you know, you only drop out or quit or leave it when you decide, look, I've had enough of this, I don't want to do it. When you're not enjoying it. Yeah, but look, what is it, what's the expression? So yeah, the expression, I think it's joy once lost is pain. And it's this idea that like, once you stop enjoying something that you do, it's painful um, and you shouldn't do it anymore. And, you know, it's and, and I think the biggest thing in education is we try to make it painful. Yeah, and, and there's no need to be that way. You know, it's, nothing is more crushing than the primary school experience, you know, You've got you go in as a kid on all excited to learn about the world and you come out as this crushed sack of depression that like no and, it's, and who thinks you have to copy everybody else and you have to fit yeah. in and you have to produce the same picture and yeah, so I have the right bloody answer. Yeah, it's depressing. Just like no, we kids are all born scientists and then they go into school and they're told, No, you can't do it that way, here's our way, do it this way. Yeah, and it's the same with creativity and with art in particular, people are convinced that they're not artistic. Yeah. And there and there are so many different ways to be artistic and to be creative. Yeah, like you, you're very creative in what you do in, in terms of problem solving all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just about embracing that and you know, finding it again if you've lost it, embracing it. And a good a good a good instructor, a good teacher, a good educator will help you find that, help you, you know, encourage that in you um, to, to, to pursue it. And I mean And to I, be I, around I, after I, they are. And and then yeah. to do it for somebody else after them, yeah. you know. The, well, I, I had a great biology teacher for the cancer, like I really did, um, and she really encouraged kind of the, the genetics aspect of it. I'm really interested in it. So she was happy to kind of really help, and you know that was a really positive experience, and that was part of what led me to actually 
pursue biology as a viable career. You know, I always say we only need we only need to meet one good teacher along the yeah. way. We only need to meet one person who cares about us and sees us. We really do. It's that it is that simple. Like it might it might seem incredibly complicated what we do to to help people with really complex stories, but but actually they just need to be seen by somebody. Yep, literally, are told you can, or yep. that it's possible. You know, um, and that's like I said, educators are, are a position of power. Your words have meaning, and it's you got to be careful what you do and don't say. Yeah, and we're gonna, I, I think we want to finish on that crystal clear message. Like if, if, if there are educators listening to this, the biggest thing is you need to take those words out of your mouth and think, do I really need to say them? And, and do I have the right to say them? And, and can I really project into the future 10 years from now? And is there any point in saying them? Like, why am I saying them? Why do I need to say them? Yeah. A 10-year-old doesn't need to know they're bad at school. No. You know, that's just not how it is. Like, and their parents don't need to know they're bad at school, you know. Yeah, and, and, I, and I really want the parents to take that power back and stand up for their child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just, you, know your, you know your child best. Right? I know, I always tell people that, you know. Yeah, yeah, like you know better than anybody else. So, you know, respect their opinion, but don't you have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to press end.